Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone who will be in L.A. this week for the Art Fairs Freeze and Felix. It should be a lot of fun. Following our podcast last week with Jory Finkel, in which we broke down several facets of the recent growth of the L.A. art scene, we wanted to continue to dive into the L.A. scene. And in this week's episode, we chat with James Fuentes, owner of James Fuentes. They've had a space in New York for just over 15 years, and last year they expanded and opened a location in Los Angeles. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening. busy time. You have a show opening in LA next week, and we have the art fairs, of course. So thanks for taking a little bit of time to chat with us. Hey, it's such a pleasure, Adam. Thank you so much for uh, connecting with me, and um, I'm, I'm happy to be in conversation. Well, I've always really admired and resonated with the program that you have at the gallery, so I'm excited to have you join us. We have Felix and Freeze opening next week, so it's a big week in the art world in LA. You opened your gallery in L.A. last year, so it's still relatively new. Why did you decide last year was the right time to grow the gallery from just being in New York and adding that location in L.A.? And also, what was it about the L.A. art scene specifically that appealed to you? Well, when I started thinking about opening a gallery in Los Angeles, we were approaching the 15-year mark of the gallery, and it seemed like the right time to do something that took the gallery further and and just took the whole operation to a new place. I started thinking about Los Angeles. I realized that by having a presence there, we would have access to a great artist community, which I've felt very connected to since I met John McAllister in 2008 when he was studying at Pasadena Arts Center. I also realized that we could be the gallery for our artists in Los Angeles. Uh, some of our artists were being approached by so-and-so galleries, uh, some great, some not so great. And ultimately, I realized that we could double down on our commitment to our artists by having a location there, which was really exciting. And the artists were super excited about it as well. I also realized that I could show artists in Los Angeles that I loved that already had representation in New York. The exhibition space itself, the building itself, is really the thing that blew me away and felt really remarkable because it is a really great room. It's an impossible thing to replicate in New York. The space in Los Angeles is triple the size of our current space in New York on Delancey Street, but is actually the same price as our space in New York, if that puts things into perspective. Lastly, and also most importantly for the business, I felt that there was a really, really great community of emerging collectors in Los Angeles, not only located in Los Angeles, but also coming to Los Angeles from Asia and uh, different parts of the U.S. that we weren't seeing as frequently 
if ever, in New York City. And as I'm thinking about the future of the gallery, we have a great tried and true base of collectors, but developing relationships with emerging collectors and new collectors is vital to the sustainability and growth of our business. And Los Angeles really, because of its access points, you know, it's a smaller community. In many respects, there was kind of a lot more going on there with our dialogue with emerging collectors than there was in New York. And so a combination of these reasons, uh, it really kind of felt like a no-brainer for us to open a location out there. Um, I really responded to the vision that Zach Lazary, who was the developer of this uh, extension of Melrose Hill, had, which was really to preserve the integrity of the architecture of the neighborhood and create an ecosystem of businesses that included galleries, but also bars and restaurants and eventually a hotel and create a walkable experience in LA, which really stood out to me and made it feel uh, very compelling as well. Well, thanks for sharing some of the important factors that went into your decision-making to expand to LA. They're really interesting to hear. And that's just wild about the cost difference between New York and LA. Now you describe some of the different kinds of artists you show at the gallery. It seems you have some exciting emerging artists who you're working with and trying to grow their careers. And simultaneously, you work with some older artists or even artist estates, and you're trying to bring attention to these artists, some of whom were overlooked for the majority of their career. How similar and different are these two responsibilities for a gallery when you have such different groups of artists? The similarities between working with an emerging young artist and an overlooked uh, artist later in life or in a state is quite similar because we have to establish and create a context and a framework for people to appreciate the work. We have to build the market. So it's really kind of starting from scratch. Um, even when you know the legacy artist, for instance, or the older artist maybe has had quite a bit of history and exhibition experience and maybe museum collections. Our field is so consumed by things that are kind of hot or things that are just like kind of now that when things kind of lose their luster a little bit at some point or if they don't kind of achieve a certain stature, you know, at a certain point um, in, in a career when an artist doesn't, for instance, the, the, the art world is quite fickle and tends to kind of like walk away. When I decided, like when I was thinking about opening a gallery about 16, 17 years ago, um, I thought really hard about what could distinguish our gallery from other galleries. What I, I really felt like New York didn't need another gallery at that time. But then when I thought about the artists that I wanted to advocate for, Oftentimes, I'm drawn to artists that um, are overlooked because of the inherent ageism in our field, for instance, uh, elitism, or, or, or various things, racism even, you know, various things that kind of keep people out of our field. And I realized that I, I probably had something unique to offer 
because I had a different approach or I was drawn to different kind of artists. And also I noticed that a lot of galleries around me at the time, like of my generation were recruiting like at the most prestigious MFA program at a given time, you know, which this changes every year, you know, one year it's like Hunter, the next year it's uh, the Royal Academy, the next year it's uh, UCLA, the next year it's Yale. And I just felt like this, there, there was this kind of like chasing that, that a lot of galleries were doing that I realized like that wasn't my instinct. I wasn't really, I was just more f- interested in like advocating for great artists and the sort of methodology that other galleries were finding artists through was quite different than basically the methodology that I realized I, I probably would use, you know, like I would be looking for artists in a different way. And I think because I was born and raised in New York city, my family came to New York from Ecuador, from farms in Ecuador in the late sixties, but I was born and raised in the lower East side. But because I, I was a native New Yorker, I think I also had this, this kind of extra radar for important voices in New York that were maybe hidden in plain sight, you know, maybe overlooked or forgotten, but important nonetheless. And so I, I just think maybe I had a had an extra intuition there um, for some reason. And uh, so from the outset, when we opened in 2007, we were advocating for artists like Jonas Mikas, who is an important experimental filmmaker. He was born in 1922. Um, Alison Knowles, who was born in 1933, who was a founder of the Fluxus movement. And she just closed her um, retrospective at the Berkeley Museum uh, about a year ago, which is going to travel to Europe. So from the very beginning, we were kind of creating a conversation between younger emerging artists, mid-career artists, and an older generation of artists. But, but I was also drawn to the fact that there was this spark that happens when there's that cross-current between generations. Yeah, I hope that kind of answers your question. It kind of took a few different detours, my answer. No, you answered it <laughs> great. And I think yeah. it's exciting for a gallery program to have that type of diversity in terms of their artist roster and correspondingly their exhibitions. I feel like you don't always see galleries that have that type of diversity just regarding the artists they show and where they are in their careers. Right, yeah. And I think, you know, the the difference, the major difference is that the responsibility, having the like a support system to be able to advocate for like an older artist, for instance, who might have like a deeper archive and like a history. And it's a much more difficult, challenging thing to do logistically, you know? So there, there, were, there were many instances like earlier on in my career where I encountered artists that I, I thought like, oh, I would love to work with this estate or work with this artist but I just didn't have the infrastructure to support those artists at the time. So it really took a while for me to get to the point where I had that infrastructure. 
But then on top of that, I also had to learn how to support those artists, you know, like how, and, and that, that's a learning curve as well. It's so strange because the gallery has been open for about 17 years now. I feel like I'm just getting started and it's taken this long for me to get to this baseline point where I feel like I could start doing the things that I want to do, getting the artists into museum collections, for instance, and working with artists that are in major biennials. We're working with Dalton Paula, who's going to be in the Venice Biennial. It's not an overnight thing. It takes a tremendous amount of patience. And uh, I feel like very grateful to, to be at this juncture of my career. But I do feel like I'm just getting started. So having a gallery in New York and Los Angeles, you're doing business and having shows on both coasts of the country. I wanted to get your sense of the state of the art market at this time. Are you seeing the softening that so many people are talking about? Would you describe the current art market as healthy? How, how do you see things? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if I can simplify it, um, we're in a moment where people are actually buying what they really care about or really want to buy maybe the uh impulsivity of like chasing a trend or buying things that other people are buying it's just not happening as frequently so i feel like we're in this very sober moment in the market which certain galleries really thrive in because if you've got the goods then you're in good shape, you know? Yeah, it's just a much more uh, discerning market right now. And and from my standpoint, I think it's a healthy thing. And also having done this this long, the gallery's been open for 17 or so years. And I worked professionally before that for uh, close to eight years or so. It's it's an inevitable cycle. The only rule in economics is what goes up must come down, and and what we're seeing right now is definitely uh, a, a recalibration, uh, maybe a contraction. Other people would call it a correction. In my opinion, it's a very optimistic time. But yeah, it's a it's complicated. It, it's it, the the market doesn't affect every gallery in the exact same way because every gallery has a different. Um, model. Every gallery has a different clientele. Thankfully for us, it's a solid moment right now. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a, a different time. And it's just something that you have to always kind of um, try to feel your way through. The, the important thing as a collector, as a gallerist, as an artist is uh, to try to be as adaptable as possible. The paradigm is always going to shift conditions always change you kind of have to roll with it you know yeah that that's kind of what i'm seeing after covid for for like two years it, it truly felt like everyone was so euphoric to be socializing again and going to art fairs and they've been stuck at home and what it meant for sales was it, it was truly like christmas for a lot of galleries for a couple of years. Like it was like, um, but, it, and I guess that's a, that's a bubble, you know, that's, there's an analogy of a bubble there, you know, but I did notice the market changing quite a bit. 
uh, Miami 2022 was maybe the first time I had a conversation with a peer who, who expressed like, James, it's like feeling very difficult to sell art right now. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, like, it's always difficult to sell art. I don't know what you're, t- I don't know what you're talking about, you know, but yeah. So, I mean, you can kind of almost pinpoint it to an exact kind of like moment. I think you hit the nail on the head describing the current conditions and really the right way to approach this type of market. And maybe we are in a healthier place where art is being bought because people want to buy the art and live with the art and have it in their collection. And there's less of a speculative component to it where in the past certain people were buying things simply because they heard you should buy it. They thought it would go up in value, but they might not necessarily have even appreciated the work or thought it was important. Interestingly, I was having a conversation this morning with a gallerist who said that the last few years as a gallery, you could really be reactive when it comes to sales. You could sit back, buyers would come to you. And now we're in a proactive environment, they said, where you have to actually work hard and proactively sell the art to people. It's an interesting thing, New York versus LA, related to that idea, um, because New York is just a much more transactional place to do business and to have a gallery versus LA where there is consistently the the need and desire to have conversations, spend time with people, visit homes. And it's a much different pace than New York, but in a way it's a very measured, grounding, real way to interact with uh, the community of collectors and curators and writers because uh, ultimately that's really what you want is to have uh, deeper dialogue with people about the work. I think that having to be more proactive is actually a good thing. I definitely think that in this version of the economy where it's not quite as much boom time as it was a year or two ago. Again, I think it's a healthy thing uh, because it, it's just a much more uh, visceral, real conversation and there's not as much noise and fluff. And so I definitely appreciate it. You want to have a passive business where you just like participating in a hot market here or there you know, you might as well be selling umbrellas when it rains or something, you know, that, that, that's uh, definitely not my interest. I, I think that when I started this field, and I think a lot of people in this field feel this way, but like, uh, there, there's definitely a, a quest for some kind of acquisition of knowledge, evolution, learning, that is definitely not a passive thing. So this will be the first Freeze LA since you opened your gallery in LA and you have a show opening of work by Jeffrey Holder, which I'm excited to see when I'm out there next week. Can you help preview the show for us and tell us more about the artist and this particular exhibition? Yes, yes. So we have our Jeffrey Holder exhibition opening in a few days at the uh, gallery on Melrose Avenue. And we will also be featuring Jeffrey Holder at Freeze Los Angeles. Um, Jeffrey is truly a once in a lifetime opportunity for us. His story is 
extremely compelling. His painting is extremely prodigious and timely. This is uh, truly a career milestone for the gallery that we're in this position to be able to share this work. Listen, I hope I don't talk your ear off, but uh, there's there's quite a bit to his narrative, and I'll, I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Um, uh, Jeffrey Holder uh, was from Trinidad. He was born in Port of Spain. He and his brother Bosco Holder, um, who was a few years older, were extremely accomplished in, in all arts. They uh, played piano. They were dancers. They made costumes. They were very resourceful um, in that way. Uh, they were painters as well. But I would say, interestingly enough, in both cases, painting is the thing that they did consistently from the the, the earliest uh, time in their life until the very end of their life. Interestingly, uh, Jeffrey was performing in... Uh, St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands, when Agnes DeMille uh, saw him perform and invited him to work with her in New York. Uh, when he arrived to New York, he joined Catherine Dunham's dance school, where he taught folkloric forms for a couple of years. The interesting thing is that he financed his trip to New York with the sale of 14 paintings one of which we'll actually have on display at the Freeze uh, LA Art Fair. In 1954, he made his Broadway debut with the musical House of Flowers by Harold Arlen and Truman Capote. Uh, from 1955 to 56, he performed with the Metropolitan Opera uh, Ballet as a principal dancer. He married Carmen de la Vallade, who was a phenomenal, incredible principal dancer as well. She's actually still alive. She turns 93 um, in early March, in a couple of weeks. He had a, a truly ast astonishing, uh, remarkable career. He also appeared in films. He won Tony Awards for his direction and costume design of The Wiz. Really what made him so outstanding was his mastery basically of all arts. You know, I use the term polymath like never, you know, I, I don't think this is like an applicable term to, uh, to describe just about anyone, you know, but he had very tangible accomplishments in his life that uh, make it very clear that he was in fact a, a polymath. His painting practice, likely because his career shines so bright in all these other disciplines, was somehow actually the least visible part of his practice. This did not deter Jeffrey Holder. He uh, produced consistently all of his life, um, all of his life in the United States from the uh, 50s till his, his passing in 2014. Um, but one of the remarkable things is that we have this opportunity to work with a majority of his life's work in rebuilding uh, his legacy uh, through understanding him as a painter. I think this is an area where the gallery really thrives, you know, by uh, embracing uh, interdisciplinary artists and uh, also by working with uh, 
narratives that are not quite um, so linear as well. And, you know, everyone at the gallery is so invigorated by our work with Jeffrey Holder. Our first show with Jeffrey was actually in 2022 in New York, uh, and it was curated by Hilton Als, who, as you know, is an accomplished uh, critic who's won a Pulitzer Prize for his criticism and um, is also an accomplished curator who was instrumental in the renovating of uh, the narrative around Alice Neal's work. Um, and coincidentally, Jeffrey Holder was also an art collector. Uh, one of the paintings inscribed to him was uh, included in the Metropolitan Museum of Art retrospective of Alice Neal. So, you know, this opportunity to kind of connect all these dots, rebuild this history, and impart something with a new audience that uh, that that they can react and respond to is is really exciting. His connection to LA is also very genuine and deep because, as I mentioned, he had exhibition history in LA, and his uh, wife Carmen de la Velade is from Los Angeles. And, you know, just a, a remarkable thing I learned the other day was that in 1949, Carmen took Alvin Ailey to a performance uh, on the 700 block of Melrose Avenue, just down the street from the gallery. And it was in that moment that Alvin Ailey decided that he wanted to commit his life to dance. And this is well documented. Uh, you know, you can probably read it in his Wikipedia biography. So just recognizing that uh, Jeffrey had um, this uh, connection through Carmen and of his own to Los Angeles has been uh, a real gift to us and even further reason to justify, you know, this, this, uh, this venue in Los Angeles. Um, it's been it's been really amazing. So we're, we're taking a lot of notes, basically. Every day we learn something new and we're excited to share this process in a way with uh, the audience who comes through to see the show. So I hope people get to see the show uh, on Melrose. It's up through early April and also hope, hopefully sees the work. Um, everyone can see the work at the fair as well. Oh, and also... Coming up, if I may, um, I wanted to make sure to share the news that on June 1st, there's going to be an exhibition at Victoria Moreau Gallery that pairs Jeffrey Holder with his brother Bosco Holder, who's actually based in London. And uh, they're going to be presenting an exhibition of paintings by both brothers, which is the first time that's ever happening. And in September, Adrian Edwards is curating an exhibition titled Edges of Ailey, which focuses on the life and world of Alvin Ailey. And included in that exhibition will be a portrait of Carmen de la Vallade by Jeffrey Holder, which is actually on view at the Gallery on Melrose. And this painting really kind of summarizes the fact that Carmen, Jeffrey, and Alvin Ailey really came up together. Um, they started their career, really established themselves at the same time. Holder met Alvin Ailey during the 
musical House of Flowers, actually. Um, so really exciting things coming up for Holder. And I really thank you for this opportunity to, to share um, all of this great news with everyone, Adam. Absolutely. It was our pleasure. Thanks again for sharing so much information about Jeffrey Holder's life and career. And for our listeners who will be in LA, make sure to check out the exhibition at James Fuentes, as well as some of the paintings in their booth during Freeze LA. James, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast and sharing your really valuable perspective on so many different areas of the art market and art world, including your expansion to LA. We really appreciate it and see you next week. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Adam, and I look forward to seeing you next week.